check, check, check. One, two. Oh, I'm gone. Good afternoon, everybody. We're going to get started here. Uh, as you guys may or may not, thank you, Jermaine. As you guys may or may not know, my name is Jason. Uh, I run Local Color, a Baltimore podcast. I started it about a year and a half ago because I got tired of people not from Baltimore thinking I live in a smoldering wasteland. It's only parts of it, not the entire city. Uh, and I think I can also, you know, admit that while the city has a lot of problems, we also have a lot of great things going for us. And I think one of the greatest assets of our city uh, is the people that live in it. So I set out to interview uh, mostly people of color because I feel like in the media landscape we're underrepresented, but with stuff like Insecure and uh, Atlanta and other shows like that, we are starting to gain more of a foothold, not only as actors and people in front of the camera, but people behind the camera, the ones that are making the decisions and, and you know, making, making the deals. And I want to be one of those people, and I think that this is my best shot at it because I don't think I'm a good actor. Um, but I'm a good talker, and I think better than being a good talker, I'm a good listener. Um, so thank you for everybody that has come out. Uh, Crystal, Amanda, Jermaine, Phil, woo, woo, woo. everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming Ooh. out. Wait, can we get a louder round of applause, please? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew thousands of people were going to show up to this? <laughs> they don't know it's a podcast. So. <laughs> um, and we are recording live right now. So this will be up on Local Color Podcast's website. So after the fact, you can go back and listen and tell your kids that you were there when history was being made. Um, enough, <laughs> enough about me and the podcast. My guest today is this man sitting next to me. His name is Pierre Benou. He We'll get into where he's from once we start asking questions. But uh, he runs the Exit the Apple art space right here. As you can tell, all around the walls, he's an artist. Um, he does, we'll get into the art that you do in a little bit. Uh, but he's my guest today. Everybody give it up for Thank Pierre Benoit. Thank you for having me. No problem, man. Uh, this, is, this has been a long time coming, and I'm glad that we could finally get together and, um, and just talk with one another. I feel yes. like... We're always busy. We're You're always so relaxed. I want to be as relaxed as you are in this chair. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, um, no, no. Be relaxed. But. No, no. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like our schedules have never synced up. We never, never. really, we never really caught each other or like when one was busy, the other wasn't and vice versa and stuff. Right. So just thank you so much for allowing me the space and giving oh, us the opportunity to just sit down on this amazingly beautiful day yes. just to talk about you your art and your craft so Thank just you. to get started um where are you from um originally i'm from new york i'm from brooklyn um yeah i'm from brooklyn brooklyn new york which part of brooklyn uh i kind of travel all over brooklyn i was from uh flatbush uh, then i moved to fort green a little later on uh east 21st street so i've, I've kind of you know eastern parkway I've, I've lived kind of all of the Caribbean hot spots in Brooklyn. Are they all like adjacent to one another? Is Fort Greene close to Flatbush? 
Not really, but at the end of the day, Brooklyn's not all that big. Really? You know I mean? Yeah, it's not. It's it, it seems bigger because there's been a camera on it for 20 years. It's not the but, biggest borough, but it's the best borough? I think it might be the biggest borough. But, yeah, I, I, I have no preference. I, I love New York. I love <laughs> the East Coast. Okay. I love the West Coast, too, but... Cool. Yeah, there's a certain aesthetic that happens along the East Coast that I'm in, in love with, a certain kind of history. Okay, well, with that aesthetic, I want you to talk a little bit about growing up in New York during, what, the 80s? Wow, I'm old. Um, I grew up, yeah, I grew up kind of with hip-hop, with the, with the birth of hip-hop. So I was born in early 70s, and I was, uh, you guys, have you seen The Warriors? Remember that movie, The Warriors? Or like Beat Street? That's the New York I grew up in. You know, there were no air conditioners on the subways, but um, there, there was this, this uh, amazing, it was, it was dangerous, let's not put that away, you know what I mean? But it was, there was this thing, this thing in the air, this creative kind of energy that you couldn't deny, um, whether it's in the West Village, whether it was in Brooklyn itself, there was kind of this independent energy of kind of art rebellion that was happening at the time. Um, so whether that be, and, and hip hop was kind of the, the culmination of it, but that wasn't like the only movement happening at the time. But what amazed me as a child was uh, the, these murals that I'd see on the trains. So I'm this little guy and I'd see these murals that would only be up for a couple of days before they took them down, of course. But it's like somebody had to steal paint, which you could get caught and put in jail for, then they had to sneak out, go into a train yard, and then in the dark, make this mural in proportion in a limited amount of time, while of course being chased by cops. I mean, it's like they put their life on their line literally for art that only a handful of people actually understood, but it was art as rebellion. It was a time in New York where we also didn't have um, the, the budgets were being cut from school, so like music and arts were being taken out of the schools, much like uh, what's happening here presently. But um, that kind of helped fuel the, re the 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 movement and many movements at the time, punk and other 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 things that happened. Yeah. So I grew up as a child around these things. So it's safe to say that growing growing up in that environment in that specific time kind of shaped you and got you into art because do you, do you feel like you'd be the same person you were if you grew up in Chicago in the 80s or LA in the 80s or do you think that like Brooklyn, New York, Flatbush, Fort Greene really um, was, was like the, the center of your life experience? I don't, I, I would love to, to, to credit New York uh, but I would like to say that I've just had I have a hard time with words. So creativity, uh, expressing myself through art, through visuals, through anything else but having to talk straightforward um, has always been my out. And uh, my mom absolutely was not letting me, if I went out on the street to do uh, a piece, I would, the, the, door, the locks would be changed <laughs> when I came home. So I didn't really have the option but my mom kind of met me in the middle. So you were a writer? In books, yeah, like in like she brought me sketchbooks, and I would uh, you know I would okay. do that in sketchbooks. I meant I meant graffiti writer. Then no, did. yeah, I was a graffiti writer. Okay. in in books. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You yeah. had the little black book. You never. I, I had. You weren't bombing trains. I would. There was no way. There was my <laughs> mother was in inside my house was my parents are from Guyana, 
So inside the house, it was Guyana. Like it was, it was outside was America. Inside those walls, fully another country. So there was no way, there was no way. But she did encourage my art and um, being, I don't know if it's just a thing universal with immigrants who come to this country, but of a certain era, but they did not see, it might be universal with parents, they did not see art as a viable option to, you know what I mean? You don't push your children into the arts. You know what I'm saying? Like you have a degree as a doctor, you know that you're gonna doct, right? You're gonna, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But a degree in the arts, there's no guarantee. There's no, uh, you know what I mean? There's, what, what do you do now with your art degree? Do you, are you Picasso now? Or are you, what, what, how does this translate into money and security for my child? So being an artist, uh, I was kind of blessed with parents, well, parent that supported me. And um, they really tried. They really uh, tried to get me in a direction that was uh, easier to make money, because I'm not dumb. But they were like, you know, you could, you could do other things besides art. You could but, do this on the weekends. Right. And, but that's the only way that they really saw it for the most part. It, it, you, know, it, you know, artists, even now, it's like, how do you make money? How do you exist? That's, it's still quite a bit of a mystery. Yeah, so uh, I, I must credit them more so than, than the movement at the time because a lot of people were affected by that movement and weren't artists. They became doctors or, or lawyers and have applied that hip-hop aesthetic to how they, you know, move right. in the world. Absolutely. Okay, well, I learned something about you just now. Oh, man. Did not know that your parents were, is it Guyanese? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that experience growing up? Because I think that growing up in an American household and growing up in a non-American household are two completely different things. Like you were saying, outside it was America, but inside it was, why aren't you a doctor? Right. Well, I must say, I, I lived, my, my parents were separated most of the time that I was growing up. And so my mom was kind of like the hippie of, of the crew of people that moved to America. So she was kind of, you know, open to a lot more. Um, as far as growing up in the household, um, the Caribbean has a different, I don't know, a, I don't know um, it's just different. I don't know, it's a cultural, it's, it's a cultural difference, just like, but I don't think it, the, the cultural difference is any more shift than someone in Southern California who grew up in Southern California or who grew up in Boston. It's, it's that much of a shift. But um, we definitely were, as a family, we're very focused. Like, you're here, we cannot fail. So it was a very, you know what I mean? You had to be kind of pointed and ready to work and ready to, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. So you were saying that your experience wasn't exactly one that was so far off from a typical American upbringing. It, but it, it was in this way. Um, okay. here's it, here it is. The, in, the, in the late 70s, 80s, being from the Caribbean was like being from Japan. Like you might as well have been speaking another language. And if you're from anywhere in the Caribbean islands, you were Jamaican. That was it. There was no different. You were Jamaican. You were Jamaican. So there was that. There were these big cultural differences. And then if, 
I don't know, there was a political thing happening at the time, of course, in the 80s, where Haitians were kind of really looked down upon. And um, so there was Jamaicans and Haitians. And um, this was before, like, Bob Marley was particularly acceptable. This was before uh, hip hop had came along and started kind of fusing the two sounds together. So being Caribbean was very uh, exotic and not in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was in a uh, English as a second language class. They just put me in there. I'm like, I, I'm fully from here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I'm rocking at the class. They're like, you know, Fred has fried, you know, whatever. They're saying the things. I'm like, I'm, and the teachers are thinking they're doing great. I'm like, this kid's amazing. I'm like, I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's the kind of, you know, the situation I grew in. And so my brother and I were the Americans. We kind of had to go out and source American culture. You dig? Like, so my parents were into disco and all the, you know, the things that were hip at the time, but we were the ones born here. So we were like, okay, Tom and Jerry, Kung Fu flicks, uh, these kind of transformers. Like, we were the ones who were the first to kind of absorb American culture directly. You know what I mean? Sure. With that absorption of American culture, and we touched on it kind of with the first question that you were kind of um, wrapped up in like hip hop and graffiti culture, even though you weren't exactly a part of it. You were kind of like, 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 uh, like a passerby, or like in the in the life of a graffiti writer, you were that you were that window with the light on. You know what right, I mean? Right, like you right. were there, but you weren't a participant of it. How did you get involved in art? Was it at a young age that you demonstrated an aptitude for painting, or did you like like were you always making collages on your parents' walls and they told you to stop? And wow, no, I would I would not. There would be a plaque on the wall, and I would be gone. <laughs> um, if I had ever touched a wall <laughs> in my parents' house. Um, I hope my mom doesn't hear this. She wasn't that straight. But um, I hope she does hear it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, hmm. how do I say this? You know what? I'm not, I'm, can we? Say, speak, speak your mind. Do whatever you want, man. Can we can we can we come back to this? Can we come back to the question of art? Yes, because okay. it, it it it's broad because it it I have to like I was a very quiet kid in a lot of ways, and so art was the only way really that I spoke. There were there were times where I would move to a new part of Brooklyn. I wouldn't speak for like half a school year. I would just be in the corner, with I mean I literally I had stacks of of composition books and I like from top to bottom, beginning to end, every page, back and front, just illustrations. I made my own cartoon comic book worlds, had my own characters that got into fights. Like I was constantly, I was constantly drawing. I was constantly trying to express myself, constantly making songs and, and uh, making, uh, like, did you, did you ever make fake TVs? Uh, this is before internet and a lot. Okay, so we would get like, and, yeah, we were broke. Uh, we weren't broke. We didn't know we were broke until we grew up. It was like, oh, we didn't have anything. But, um, but we used to make like, uh, we'd get a box, like a box would come, and, and then you'd get two rollers, and you'd bend hangers up, and you'd get paper, and you'd, you'd draw on each paper, and then you'd, you'd do that, and you'd have like a story right there or uh, eight millimeter film. My mom gave me, I made my first film when I was eight. Edited and made my first film when I was eight. And uh, prior to that, before VCRs, 
This is, I'm so old. Um, before VCRs, we had eight millimeter film projectors. And so we would buy reels. They'd have little reels from different movies and you'd project them on the wall. So me and my brother, uh, since we had the, the cheap one that didn't have sound, we would sit there and, and watch the movies and we would fill in the movies with our own sounds. It was like, oh, and so whoever was the funniest got to narrate the movie. So that's how we got into like script writing. And then we'd chop it up and edit it. So we'd have like all these old black and white Zorro films. And you know, he's, then we'd flip it and have them fighting backwards and snip that in with Pinocchio. And like just, we did all of these weird things at a very young age. And uh, I mean, that helped inform a lot of my work and the ways that I thought. And I was affirmed in those ways. Like I felt great making art. Plus, it was the first time I ever made money in school when uh, people would ask me to like, draw them a valentine or hey uh he-man is the cool thing can you draw me he-man on my on my you know my book cover and i'm like sure that'll be three dollars you know what i mean so it was it was i was affirmed in that way as well so all of those hours not writing on walls i was able to go i can draw voltron in proportion and then i was able to to do that yeah so with that affirmation and we already uh, talked about this a little bit before was it difficult for you to approach your parents and tell them like look I'm not I'm, I'm not I know back then I guess they didn't have it but like I'm not a, I'm not a stem child like I'm not going right. to be an engineer I'm not a mathematician right. I like I like art like was it difficult it, for them to like kind of come to that conclusion and be like he's not going to be a accountant right no it was a it was like coming out in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm mom, dad, I'm an artist. Um, I think my mom knew. Uh, Your dad just like throws a picture of you in the trash. Right, right, right. <laughs> my son. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the compromise, excuse me, the compromise was I went to Pratt Institute. My dad is a professor, or he was a professor, he became a dean, so he was working at Hunter College at the time. And um, he knew what a university was, so he was like, okay, Pratt is an accredited university. You can go to Pratt Institute and they'll make you into a thing that makes money through art. So that was the compromise. And um, my mom was just, yeah, my son is into it. Let's, let's see what happens. One year into Pratt, um, I ended up winning a, an award that seniors are supposed to win with my freshman project. And uh, I, the next year I was like, um, here's my plan to make a feature-length film. I want to quit school, and here's how I'll pay you guys back. And uh, that didn't work. So I ended up having to finish, finish school, but yeah. And Pratt, Pratt Institute is a college? Yeah, it's a college, and my uncle, who's actually an artist, uh, went there, and he's a very successful artist. And um, he, was, he was kind of my, see, he's, he's art, he's doing good. Uh, so he was, he was kind of my look too. He was the person that I kind of was like, okay, he's from where you guys are from. Let's, can we, can I get some props? He's making, you know. That was your, your uncle? Yes, my or uncle. Was it on, was it on your mom's side or your dad's side? My mom's, my mom's, yeah. So maybe that was why she was more accepting of it. Like, my, my brother can do it, so right. why not my son? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So with your introduction into art and going to Pratt Institute and, you know, subsequently failing to, uh, I guess, secure funding or get that first feature-length film rolled out, what 
decided, um, excuse me, what made you decide to move from New York to Baltimore? Because I, I hear like a lot of people come from New York and they'll come down south, but they won't go to D.C., they won't go to Atlanta, they won't go to the Carolinas, they just come to Baltimore. Hmm. As somebody from here, I'm just like, why do y'all want to come here? Like, y'all talk shit about it all the time. Well, to be fair, I've, I've never talked shit. I'm sorry about the cursing, Mom. Um, about Baltimore ever. Um, I, Baltimore, uh, we were kind of gentrified out of Brooklyn. We couldn't afford it. Our rents were getting raised. Um, and so me and my wife were hunting for a new town and uh, we had done a screening in Baltimore and uh, a couple events too, and just the love was just so crazy out here. And um, Baltimore reminded me so much of the New York I grew up in. It was dangerous, there was a thing in the air that was, that was creative and untangible and that we're still in, like it's, we're in the old school of something that hasn't been named yet. I don't know what this moment in time is gonna be called, but we're gonna look back 10 years from now and go, this, this was a moment. And um, that's what I felt about Baltimore. I moved here because it felt right. And uh, what I also, what, what happened with me uh, moving to Baltimore also is that I, I made the connection ultimately that it's, it's particularly people of color in America, I feel like it's the same neighborhood spread out throughout the country. I don't know if that makes sense but if you go to Chicago, this is happening in Chicago. If you go to Detroit, this is happening absolutely in Detroit. It's the same situations happening. We're not connected. It's kind of <clears throat> pillars of creativity kind of happening and in, informing and uh, defining themselves in this time and space. But it's, it's happening. Well, you said that you weren't connected, but in a, in a way... That's why that's what made y'all move down to Baltimore because you were saying that the same thing that was happening here at that time was happening up in New York. So maybe while not physically, there's like a collective consciousness that absolutely. you could feel. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. And um, I don't know. Baltimore is just it's ripe. It's ripe for a bunch of things, uh, good and bad. Um, but it's about uh, who's. It's about the power of narrative whose story wins, who, who, who tells the, the best story most often. So I really, truly believe that um, we have an opportunity uh, to tell a story that is more inclusive, uh, generally. And uh, just, uh, you know, bad things happen, but that's not the entire story. Sure, absolutely. Um, what was it like when you first came down to Baltimore? Where, where, like, where did you live? What did you do? Um, we talked about it, of course, a little bit, but what was the general climate of Baltimore like compared to today? I mean, I know that things are completely different, like in terms of like cultural norms, technology. Of course, all of that stuff is different, but what was it like when you first got here? Um, well, we, me and my wife had just... Uh, we were just getting Oyen Handmade, which is our all-natural hair and body products. Um, we were getting that popping. We didn't have a staff, so we kind of made our production uh, facility our house. So uh, we lived upstairs, and then our first two floors is where we were shipping and creating all of this product. Now, we kind of didn't leave the house for about two years. Uh, we were just working like literally day 
and night. We had no kids, so it was just like, woohoo! We had all of this energy, and we kind of just leaned in and focused. And to that, I kind of also put my art on hold for about, man, I would say about eight years. I was like, I'm going to do nothing but this until it, it has its own legs. That's not to say I did nothing, but... That was, the Oyen was your main focus? Yeah. I mean, prior to Oyen, we, like, when we first decided to quit our jobs uh, back in the Brooklyn Times, we, we had a whole bunch of stuff that we did. We threw it all against the wall and said, whatever sticks, we do. Whatever uh, doesn't is a hobby, and we can't afford hobbies. So Oyen was one of the things that stuck. Yeah. Okay. What neighborhood were you living in? At the time, I was Fort Greene. Mm -hmm. No, I meant when oh. you moved down to Baltimore. Uh, I'm kind of at an intersection of a couple of neighborhoods. Do you know where the Senator Theater is? Yeah, uh, off of like York and Northern Parkway. Right. So yeah. I live in walking distance of the Senator Theater. So, so the entire time that you've lived in Baltimore, you've lived in that area? One place, yep. So like Belvedere Square kind of? Yeah, Belvedere Square-ish area-ish. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give out my address. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, but you, you have um, pretty good insight, though. How has that neighborhood changed over the years? The, the little area I'm in is pretty stable. It's, it's, and it's a wonderful place because it's like, it's, uh, how do you say, it's hood adjacent. <laughs> Okay. It's 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 clearly you know in the hood but it's like it's everyone on my block owns two or three homes. Everyone cleans up like it's it's a like it's the 80s on that block. People kids knock on the door, "Can your sons come out and play?" It's like ride bikes up and it's like surreal. People knock on your door and bring you cakes. Real talk. But if you go two blocks that way, it's you know, on 4th of July, it's problems. Then, like, if you cross York Road, there are these giant houses uh, and, and all of this architecture from the person who made Central Park. And it's, there's ducks on that side of the street. I'm like, what? It's a completely different world. And then if you go in another direction, there's a bunch of houses, um, uh, not houses, uh, apartments, and it's just immigrant families. So you have um, East African, Indian, um, East Indian, I mean, um, and uh, yeah, so those kind of, of immigrants have, have populated the apartment complex there. So it's a wonderful like mix of worlds just right in, in, in the space where I live. Cool. With all of that in mind, you're talking about your experiences growing up in Brooklyn, coming down to Baltimore, and just becoming excuse me, uh, becoming involved in the art world. What was it like for you personally, you know, as a black man, being an artist throughout the 90s up until now? Do you think that art in general still like, has the same problems of funding and like what is art and all that stuff? Like, How did it happen for you? I, well, I think... Here's, here's the wonderful thing about this era right now is that um, there's so many possibilities all of, just across the board, not just in art. Um, everything is being redefined. Everything is being questioned, right? So even, uh, wow, even uh, who can be president? Um, gender politics, 
Um, what is art? All of these things are being questioned. And there's, there are ways for you to then answer the questions. These things, it's not like these things weren't questioned in the 80s and the 70s, and the, but there was kind of, there were very little responses that you could give without a whole lot of money. Let's just keep it there. Right now, I think the advent, and, I, and I, I'm gonna sound old saying this, but the advent of that internet, it levels the playing field. There's, there, there's uh, possibilities that you have that you didn't have 30 years ago. And someone right now can say, I'm an artist, and not ever hang a piece in a gallery. They could sell their work online. I've seen it for thousands of dollars or a couple of hundred of dollars a thousand times. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, there, your only limit now is your imagination, I feel. And I feel like maybe 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, your, your limit was what was available to you. If you didn't go down a certain route to be a filmmaker, you could not be a filmmaker. If you didn't go a certain route to be an artist, if your work wasn't hanging in a gallery, it wasn't recognized, you did a certain kind of art, no one was checking for you. You could now find who loves you or who likes you or who adheres to your aesthetic and cater directly to them and live. Like, that's a possibility. So that, to me, is what this era offers. I didn't, like in the 90s, it was uh, rough. <laughs> it, was, it was more hands-on. It was, uh, you know, I, I love that era um, for what it taught me about hustling, but uh, I, I think right now is, like, we need to grab onto this moment, like, right now, because I think the powers that be want that level playing field to be unlevel again really badly. So it's about us taking charge of whatever it is that you do. Maybe not being a doctor. If you're a doctor, get a degree and do that. Uh, get to do that right. But um, otherwise, if it's, if it's the arts, um, you can affirm yourself and have others affirm you, not only with talk, but with money. You can live. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. You were a... Um, Oh, wait, no. You weren't it specifically, but you were talking about the path of becoming a filmmaker, like you had to you know, go down that certain route or else you wouldn't be a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But you are a multimedia artist. I mean, there's you know, a lot of your work on the walls, but you've also uh, you directed the music video for Gregory Porter. We'll get into that in a little bit. And you also, and now, see, this is how long... I've been waiting to talk to you about this. This is, this is back this is in bad. like 2012, 2013, I think, when you sent me like the, the Vimeo password or whatever to watch Redbone Gorillas. So oh, yeah. talk, yeah. To me, talk to me about that because I don't literally know anyone else that's seen it. I watched it in my dark room one day and I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. So talk to me about wow. getting that project off the ground. Talk to me what it's about. Okay, so uh, Redbone Gorillas, it's on IMDb. It was a film, is a film. Um, I have yet to re-release it because um, we had some copyright issues with the music. Um, was a film that I made kind of in protest of the film industry. I was kind of 20 years too late, or too early, or 10 years too early. Um, so it was a, about a revolutionary group of actors that kind of were fighting the system and breaking the fourth wall by having like these interventions with society. 
So um, by having these interventions, they were kind of going to change uh, the definition of performance and uh, how do you like really reach people. So they would kind of go into these weird places and pretend to do like these crazy things. And uh, it just, you know, it's about the group, how they formed, and then how they broke up. Um, we did that film for $5,000. I had just finished writing a book called Bullshit or Fertilizer um, <laughs> uh, for, you know, for artists primarily, but for anybody who's kind of on the fence. And we, were, we lost our apartment. We were like, okay, you wrote this book about giving into your art and letting go. We could either go back and get nine to fives or we could take our little bit of money and make this film. And we did. Uh, we ended up living in my mother's basement. Shout out, Mom, uh, if you're still listening. Um, <laughs> and uh, the film uh, was an underground hit in New York. Um, and we got to show it outside of New York, in the Caribbean, uh, all across the country. And uh, OK, so this is what I'm talking about as far as technology, OK? Me and Jamila invented, oh God, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because it's true. We had basically a Netflix system. We were like, how do we get this out to people? So we would record them, and we made boxes of just dubbed versions of our film. And we had this sheet that you filled out. And we, anyone who had more than five people in their dorm, in their crew or whatever, you'd, we, you'd send us a letter. We advertised it online. At the time, it wasn't as big as it is now, but uh, you'd send us back a letter, you'd fill it out, and we'd ship it to you with a whole thing to ship the VCR tape back. And you know, you'd fill out, like, what did you like about it? What did you think? Blah, blah, blah. And um, that was our way of doing it at the time, because the internet, I think iFilm was a thing at the time. I don't know if you guys remember that. Of course you don't. Um, but they were they were I film like an Apple type thing. No, it was it was a, a it was a website, kind of a precursor to YouTube. Um, but there was there was no venue, like you know what I mean. I was showing in art houses and small theaters, but you know it was a kind of an anti-establishment, anti. Uh, it just questioned everything about performance and art. So. Uh, I don't know, it, 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 it did very well, kind of, underground. And then, uh, you know, we, we got into some issues with, with, with the music um, that's, that, that's being used in the film. So, I mean, we can screen it just so long as we don't charge people for it. Right, right, make any money off of it. Right, right, right. <clears throat> well, in the process of, 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 of making and screening Redbone Gorillas, do you ever feel like, at a point, you were kind of bumping up against what you were critical of. Did you? Do you ever feel like you had to make those decisions? Like, do I want to? Do I want to maintain my integrity, or do I need to make this business-minded decision because this, this is, is going to uh, broaden the audience or put it on a, a greater platform? Well, here's here are the two things. The film came out of my frustration in dealing with the industry. I had written. I had written scripts before. Uh, I had I was dealing with a producer from Disney that just that just broke my heart. That was like the final, uh, the final straw. Um, there were producers prior to that person, um, and what I learned about the business 
at that time anyway, is that they might take your film that's about two people falling in love and they'll make it into a space drama because that makes more money and then you're standing there like, this isn't my, this is my idea, but your name is on it and it's out in the world. And then there's always this fight between commerce and integrity. Now what I was trying to do at the time was find the people who keyed in to my aesthetic. And I think that's just easier now. Like at that time there was no, like I could literally go on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and just go hard in the paint. I could really just be like, who likes this kind of stuff? And, and, and those people will find you if you're persistent. I agree, but don't, the reason why I disagree is because it, de it depends on like what medium you work in. Like, I feel like film is the hardest to collaborate with because everybody like, wants to be the director or right. something like that. Or there's a lot of writers out there, but there aren't a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm a cinematographer or I'm an editor. Or if they are, they're not like on the same level that you want them to be or like that you think you are. We will be teaching film classes here this summer, just so that you know. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. No problem, no problem. Um, I think it's difficult because, for example, me as a writer, I like to write, you know, little sketch comedy stuff. And my friends and I would, would film them in high school and in college. And we wouldn't, we would never get anything over like 500 views on YouTube or something like that. Or we would just share it with other friends. But I think as a writer, it's much easier to want to collaborate with people because people think that writing is the easiest thing to do, which, you know, as somebody who writes, I disagree with. But... Like, let's say I want to make an animation. It's, it's so easy to find a writer because everybody has writing software. It's called right. Microsoft Word or something. But as a writer, if you put your script out there and they're like, oh, I'm looking for like keyframe animators and voiceover artists, it's like so difficult, even in this day and age, to get people to come together because like... Well, I, I think it's just a matter of perspective. Like difficult for now, like can you imagine that with no internet? Like where are you going? You know what I'm saying? Like, the, are you sending letters? Like, where, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's this, for me, just from my perspective, like, uh, and, and as far as film, it's, film is, is, is basketball. You know what I mean? Film is a team sport. It has to be, this is a phrase I use, like, in my marriage and just as a general mantra. It's me and you against the problem. So with film, it's the same thing. You have to have a team that's about the work. And you can't, like, it's a real, like, you got to get your crew, but you also have to take your ego out of it because you as the writer might, the, 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 an actor might bring something out of your writing that wasn't there. So you, if you want to honor the piece, you have to kind of go, okay, I trust you with, the, with, the, with, the, with that moment. Same with the cinematographer. He might see something or the lighting. Like, there's so many pieces that have to work together for you to win. And on a certain level, you just kind of have to let go. You have to trust in somebody enough that they can see your vision, maybe not in the exact same way, but they see enough of it to not disappoint you. Right, right, right. Okay. With that, talking about vision, direction, and filmmaking in general, talk about your experience directing the video for um, Gregory Porter. And like, give a little background about him for people who don't know who okay, he is. Okay, so Gregory Porter is now a three-time Grammy award-winning. He just won another Grammy a couple of days ago. Um, singer, performer. He has an amazing voice. I knew him from my, my days in Brooklyn. Um, I don't think he's from Brooklyn, though. Um, he, uh, was, he was 
doing a music video. He needed a music video done for his uh, his newest album at the time, which was Be Good. And, uh, you know, someone approached me. And I was like, uh, hell yeah. And I said, but we have to shoot it in Baltimore. That was my only kind of must, must have. Um, because I wanted to show the beauty of Baltimore. I wanted to show it not in like a exploitive way, but just in a very simple way. Just simply beautiful. Like it's nothing like, but just, you know, here it is in another context. Same streets, another context. So, um, you know, I did what I do, storyboarded it to death, um, got my team together, and uh, it was pretty much a two day shoot. Um, it was hectic, but it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. And the end product, I, I couldn't have been happier. I, I wish I could do that, excuse me, more often. Uh, so yeah, the song is Be Good. Check it out. Um, a lot of people in Baltimore was like, that made that look, you know what I mean? Like, we're very happy with how Baltimore looked in, uh, in that moment. It was colorful. It was affirmation of love. It was people dancing. It was, you know what I mean? So, yeah. What, what neighborhoods did you mostly shoot it in? Um, mostly in this neighborhood. Mostly in a maybe six block radius of here. And, um, yeah. Now, was this before or after you uh, opened up the art space? This was before the art space. So this was still, like, bad. This was, this was bad. <laughs> hey, I'd, I'd like to talk about the art space now. You were mentioning that you guys are going to be uh, having film classes here. Um, what was this before you turned it into the art space? Or let's, let's back up. Talk to me about wanting to start the art space and, and the transformation from whatever it was until its current its current life form. Wow. Um, so this art space uh, originally was uh, the, it was a bunch of things. Mostly it was abandoned. Um, the guy who was he lit working here prior was making furniture. I don't think he was making furniture. Um, but either way, he wasn't paying his rent. So we, we have the space on the other side. And so we asked the owner of the building, could we have it since he's not paying rent? We, we do that, we pay rent. So um, I needed kind of a space to kind of get back into my art. So this is my sacred space. This is where I do create a lot of my work. But um, I was like, you know, if I have a space this big, I also wanna make it available to the people in the neighborhood. I feel like in Baltimore particularly, and with people of color particularly, there's an underrepresentation of art of theater, of performance. Uh, so I was like, I need to make this space available and we need to you know, have classes and lectures and events here. So that's kind of the origin of this space. And we've kind of, we've kind of been a juke joint. I've, like, I've been putting murals up. So now we're gonna, like this summer, we're kind of out in the open. You don't gotta like, you know, speaker box, I love below. You know, guy, we're not doing that anymore. So we're gonna, um, we're gonna, we're, we're, we have a lot of uh, classes and events planned. My friend here, Jermaine, has, uh, he's helping me work on the infrastructure of the space. So uh, it's, it's going to be exciting if you guys stay tuned. I can't, I really like, can't wait. Did you encounter any hardships or barriers to getting the art space off the ground? It's, it's still getting off the ground. And um, I, 
you know, barriers are, it's perspective. It's no barriers. Like when we got here first, this place, both spaces were, all, everything you see here from the plugs to the walls to the toilets is us. Both of these spaces were completely blank. And um, I mean, there were weeds growing as tall as a human being, every kind of colored condom, uh, dog feet, like it was just bad. And then we came through, we just quietly started cutting the grass, uh, tossing the used stuff into the sewers and just kept doing it. And if you keep doing it, if you keep being persistent and you show care, people show care back. And um, it, that's, that's what happened. And, and it, it was the same on this side as well. We took care of that side. The guy who was here didn't really take care of this side. And we just started planting flowers. And the city was like, oh, you're planting flowers. Let's put trees there. We used to have sunflowers growing there. They just threw trees in there. We put you know, the, the garbage can on the corner. Like we changed the vibe in this neighborhood uh, quite consciously. And um, you know, it's about persistence. Do you think persistence is a main theme for any creative person that wants to see success? Persistence is the win. Let me tell you something. Look, let me tell you something. Creativity, even integrity, I'll take it there. If you're persistent, you will win. The one who's the most persistent gets to tell the story at the end. Real. I've, I've seen creative people who are not consistent at all and it, it just, it, I don't, they don't, they don't survive. They're not here now. The ones who are, and it, sometimes it's the ones who have less talent who are kind of more like in your face, like, hey, pay attention to me and are just on it who are on their game oftentimes are the ones who, if you want to say win, win. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's every basketball player out there knows of somebody in their neighborhood who's better than them, but they either were just lucky or more persistent in a certain way. Or they were better looking. Well, I, yeah, that might be. A <laughs> looking better always helps. Um, that helps too. If you, uh, your, costume, your costume does actually help. So as we as we wrap up this, awesome. <laughs> no, not awesome. I mean, like this is this has been cool. I didn't like mess up. Oh, oh, oh and okay. tell my mama's business too much, but um, so so as we wrap up the interview, uh, these are the two questions that I normally ask everybody at the end of the show. Um, they're, they're, they'll be a little bit different for you, but what's 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 next for you? What are the next couple of months? What's the next year look like for you? What are your future plans? What's your future? A lot vision? of stuff. Um, there is a book. Um, about just practical tips about unleashing your creativity. It's called Say It With Your Work. So that book is coming out. It's kind of a follow-up to Bullshit of Fertilizer. It's about, um, you know, as a kid, right, you, you, you learn your ABCs and you learn things through creativity. There are all these colors. But sometimes, by the time you get to high school, they're like, there's no colors left. It's just kind of facts and things on the board. And so by the time you get into work, a workspace, it's just a gray cubicle. And so what this book gives you practical tips on doing is reintroducing just color and creativity into your life and have that feed you. Because oftentimes I think artists, like with chefs, people don't say, I'm not going to cook because I'm not a chef. But with art, they're like, I'm not, I can't do, I can't draw a line, I'm not an artist. I'm like, no, you have this thing in you. Let's affirm that and see how it serves your, 
your life. So that book is coming out. Of course, this space uh, has a bunch of stuff happening this summer um, and spring. Uh, there's a April 1st, we're having a, a show called The Big Show, which is a variety show with uh, comedy, music, uh, performance. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, what else do we have coming up? I'm, I'm going to be getting back into my film bag. So I'm going to kind of get all of these photographed and ready for sale as prints and then uh, do a couple of shows. But I, there's some films that I got to get out ASAP. So that's kind of my next big move. Yeah. With pe for people who want to learn more about you or the art space or even rent out the art space for photography, video, painting, anything like that, how can they get in contact with you? Um, exit the Apple at ExitTheApple.com. Um, the ExitTheApple.com uh, website is constantly being updated and renewed, but you can find out most of the information there. Uh, Jermaine, should I not say your name? Uh, Boom. <laughs> Jermaine at ExitTheApple.com uh, would probably be the person that you will be uh, going back and forth with as far as uh, rental for the space. There have been amazing music videos shot here, wonderful photography done here. Um, the Grammys did something here. Uh, it, it's just a lot of stuff happens here. Just stay tuned. It's like, it's weird. If you're not on the list and you're not in the know, you're going to miss it and then just see the pictures later. So to try to try to tell someone about it and and try to be a part of it because uh, we're like we're out so like this mural and all these other things like okay we're, no more juke joint we're here so get involved yeah uh, i know that i said those were the last two questions but i lied um weren't you in a uh weren't you in an all-state commercial that has nothing to do <laughs> yes i was in an all-state commercial talk to what was your experience like with that um it was mysterious, yo. Just like how you feel, like you were in an Allstate commercial. I'm like, yeah, I was in an Allstate commercial. Like, I feel the same way. Um, so here, here's about, okay, so here's about, here's, here's a thought about investment in self and putting that thing out there. Bullshit of Fertilizer was a book that I made when, kind of when me and my wife first met. We would have all these friends come over, artists. Some were successful, some weren't. And we'd have these four-hour conversations. We'd be up four in the morning. This is what you need to do. And I was the, the preacher guy. This is what, see, now what, now what you need to do. And so we would do you that. You turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Right, right, right. So, so we would do that for hours. And my wife was like, dude, you're doing this and not getting your work done. So this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Dream hammer. I'll tell you about that some other time. She, um, she, uh, she was like, let me write down everything you just said, because there was a person who came through who I didn't know, and then four in the morning she left with my other friend, both of them tears, we're all crying, and like, we're gonna be artists. So they left, and my wife was like, tell me everything you said. I'm gonna write it down. I said, oh, we'll, she said, I'm gonna make a book, and every time someone asks you about this, you'd give them the book. And I said, well, I need pictures. She's like, you don't need pictures. I'm going to take your journals, scan pictures from your journals, and put it. There's no pictures made for this book. Everything came from my journals. And in a day, basically, we wrote and published a book. Now, we put it out in the world not knowing what it was going to do. It, went, it did well. It went to Japan. It was, it was awesome, right? We got a, a major book deal. That's part of the reason we were able to do bullshit, uh, Redbone Gorillas. Now, you fast forward, let's say, 14 years later, we get a mysterious call from Allstate. 
we want you to be in this commercial because your hands are great and Allstate and we do hands. I was like, okay, you're not going to say no to Allstate. And you got, they got coins. They got coins. So they flew us to Chicago. I don't know who did this, by the way. Flew us to Chicago. We get to Chicago. They put us in a hotel. And this hotel is not, you know Chicago. This hotel is berserk. Like, it's from the future. So you walk through a portal and you're in your room. And you're like, oh. So you're there. And then we go to this guy's house. He's a major photographer. He's shot Michael Jordan. And, and we're being handled. People are doing our nails. Like, it's crazy. I'm like, who did this? So we finally meet the producer. She comes up to us and she says, you know, when I was in college, she reaches into her purse and she said, when I was in college, I got this book called Bullshit or Fertilizer. She pulls out the book and it's ratted, the cover's torn back. You can see all the coffee stains from the, and she said, this book not only was my inspiration, but it, it really, it, it spoke to me specifically in a moment when I needed it. And um, when they asked me who should be in this Allstate ad, you, you guys were the first that, that, that came to mind. And I was just like, like, whoa, whoa. So us being in that Allstate ad had everything to do with that one night writing the book. Not that the Allstate ad was the pinnacle of my life. I hope not. Um, but, but that moment, it was because of another moment a decade plus prior. That must have been a pretty bizarre feeling. It was up until that moment. Yeah, I was just like, what? It just because I we we had it was a ghost. We were just like taking our children on a plane to Chicago because someone at Allstate. Anyway, so it was it was weird, but it was cool. It's still weird. It's still weird. <laughs> just so that you know, it's still like, why are we on TV? Now, just to clarify, you said that they said that you had really good hands. Are they talking about your physical hands? They. Uh, the all, the all states thing is hands you know they do the oh. you're in good hands but so they, they my hands aren't really that nice i bite them and do artwork so they're always but i got my nails done for the first time at, at the all state place and man i'm really like i didn't know ladies i didn't know like i really that was that really did change my life on some real like and then when they photographed it and had this professional you know master photographer he said hold these coins and put seeds in my hand and stuff it was beautiful like i saw my hands you know like someone sees you in a different way it changes you so that was that's what happened for me in my hand, hands i don't my hands aren't that beautiful i'm sure i mean they were good enough for all state they right? were good enough for all state yeah there you go there you go well as we come to a close is there anything you want to talk about or go over that we haven't already mentioned um no i'm, I'm so glad that you all are here um I, I would like to say, because someone was, I don't know, was, uh, there was a, I must have been online, someone had said something about being fearless. I'm like, don't be fearless. Have fear. Like, be scared of things. Like, oh, you know, if a bear is coming at you, don't, don't be fearless. Have fear. Um, it's about conquering your fear that makes you courageous. And so just be conscious. Give fear its space. Uh, honor, honor all of those emotions. Honor anger. Don't think that's small of you. Be angry if you're angry. But what's past it? You know what I mean? What is it trying to tell you? What, what, what information is there? It's, it's, there's something 
important in every moment if you if you take the time uh, to search and um, and be persistent. Like it's great to be talented, but <laughs> hard work beats talent any day of the week. Most days, yes, I've seen. Many a talented person fall away. And the thing is, too, a lot of talented people in this room that I see right now, uh, we tend, talented people tend to be lazy because they're so talented. Real talk. They're like, I'm great. I'll catch up. You know what I mean? They don't study for the test because I, you know, I know this stuff. It's, that's your L. That's where you catch your L. So uh, push yourself. Yeah. I don't know. That's too much. Thank you guys for coming. Yeah, um, thanks everybody for coming out. Once again, I'm Jason. This is Pierre. If you have Thank questions you. for him, ambush him afterwards. But um, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you guys.